Good morning. Good morning. You didn't think I was listening, did you? <laughs> so, well, we're glad that you um, decided to worship with us this morning. I'm Brent. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, if you're visiting. And we're delighted that on this second Sunday of Advent that you've chosen to worship with us. A couple things by way of announcement. Just want to make you aware that, that if you have kids, they're working on a, a, a short program that we're going to try to video and show on the 20th. And so if your kids can be involved in that, we'd love to to have them be a part of that. And then Santa's helpers, many of you have volunteered to help with that over the past few years, and they're going to be doing that differently this year. They're going to use this facility as kind of a prep area, and then they're going to do a drive-through in which they hand out presents and they serve the meals. And so there's announcements and information in your bulletin if you want to be a part of that. Uh, we'd encourage you to do that. And then our Christmas Eve service, we're working on exactly what we're going to do. Likely that is going to be a drive-in service at the pavilion, if we can make that work, um, in which just to, to eliminate contact and just with everything going on with the COVID right now, uh, that will allow people freedom to come and not have to wear a mask in the car with your family. And so we're, that's the direction we're working, but that'll be on Christmas Eve. I want to let you know that the Christmas cards went to the jail this week, and there was more than enough to take care of all the needs that, had, that they had and all of the stamps were taken care of and the religious director at the jail wanted to express his appreciation for our having a part in, in making that possible. Um, we worked, had a couple work sessions at the building this week. I had a couple people tell me this morning that they were sorry that they weren't there and my response was there's going to be plenty of opportunities in the future. And so we got a lot of the stuff moved and off of the floor, and looks like we'll probably have to have like one more evening or possibly a Saturday morning session to get that all ready for the asbestos contractor to come in the first of the year and, and get started. So this is the second Sunday of Advent, and as we have done, we kind of have a theme, come to the table. And so we're going to have our, our Advent video and then go back to worship. Last week, we began our Advent series entitled Come to the Table, and we talked about the table and the significance that it plays in each of our lives, that indeed it is more than just a piece of furniture, more than a place to sit to eat a meal or enjoy a cup of coffee or a cinnamon roll or a piece of pie, but rather it is a place of conversation, it's a place of connection, it's a place of interaction, a place of intimacy, a place of ministry. We talked last week about the reality of the invitation to the table and how important that is. It's a, it's a humbling of ourselves and inviting people in to our home or to our, our place in order that we can share the grace and the blessings that Jesus has shared with us. And on the spiritual realm, the reality of Jesus' invitation to come to the table, to accept His invitation of mercy and grace resulting in our salvation, so that ultimately when time is fulfilled and eternity is in place, that we will sit at the table with hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so the table is significant, and today we want to talk about another part of the table. And today we're going to talk about, we're going to broaden our perspective a little bit and talk about what does the invitation of coming to the table or a, 
or being invited to a table mean in the context or of the greater community in which we live? What does it look like to those who we share the same geographical area with, the same economy, the same friends? What does it mean to those within that sphere of influence that we find that have fallen in, on hard times or find themselves in time of great need? What does the table look like in those kinds of circumstances? I want to draw your attention to the passage that was referred to in the Advent video this morning, Matthew chapter 25. And I think verses 34 through 40 are in the uh, inside of your bulletin if you don't have your Bibles with you. I want to give you a little bit of the context of those verses because I think that's important. Uh, Jesus is referring to a time at the end of the age in which he has assumed his rightful place as king of kings and, and judge of all the world. And we're told that he sits with his angels and all the angels all around him, sits on his throne, and all the nations will be gathered before them, before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The first thing I think it's important that we recognize about this passage is that even though it's talking about the nations being gathered, this is an individual judgment. This is a judgment in which we will each stand before God and He will separate those that have accepted Him as Lord and Savior from those that have rejected His offer of salvation. The sheep are His children, the goats are those that have not accepted Christ in this narrative of Jesus. And so we find that in this context of judgment that Jesus shows us the difference between the two. And before we get into the specifics of that, I think it's really important that we understand why we have to put this story into context. Because if you look at what Jesus said and just put that and take it at face value, it would appear that the behaviors and the choices of the sheep versus the behaviors and the choices of the goats are what determines their eternity and what determines whether they rest under God's blessing or they rest under God's judgment. But as we know from the rest of Scripture, which we have to put this in the context of, that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by actions. We're not saved by behaviors, good or bad. We're saved by the grace of God alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read, For by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This passage should be taken more in light of the, of the narrative in, in, the, in the book of James that talks about the fact that our works are evidence of our faith. Let me read for you a couple of verses out of James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so what Jesus is referring to here is not what you do in order to earn your salvation. It's what is evident in your life if you have accepted the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and truly understand what that looks like and what that means to you as a child of God. 
The opening verses of this passage talks, first of all, about what the sheep already possess. Verse 34 begins, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The blessings that are already possessed prior to this time of blessing and reward that were possessed even when these lived on the earth. And I find it interesting that those three exact same things are echoed in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you look in the first chapter, verse 3, it talks about, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It talks about our inheritance in verse 14. When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And then the third thing, that this whole process started before the beginning of time. Verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Fascinating to me that as Paul is summing up the greatest things that are the things that we have and possess in Christ, that he echoes the same three things that Jesus mentions in this passage. And so the reality is these that are on his right, his chosen ones, the sheep of his pasture, they have enjoyed the blessings of God and the reality of knowing that the best is yet to come. And so then he begins to talk about What is the evidence or what was evident in your life that that demonstrates the fact that you understand fully and appreciate and love fully because of what God has done for you? Jesus continues on. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So the evidence of the salvation of those that are in Christ is that they reach out and they meet the needs of those around them. That's their response. Notice the needs that are listed there are the basic needs that we have as human beings living in this physical body. The need for food, the need for drink, the need for shelter, the need for clothing, the need for health, and the need for relationship and companionship, which we know is intangible, but nonetheless a need that we all have. And so the righteous say, when did we see you in those circumstances, Lord? And his answer to them is very profound. Truly, I tell you, this is verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So in the manner in which you reached out to those in need, in the manner in which you helped these people that were were down and out and life had thrown them a curve, you did that unto me. And that word least and that phrase, the word least and that phrase least of these is significant. This is a word that's not used very often in the New Testament. And the meaning of it is significant. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means. I have a strong concordance, and that's about as far as it goes. But I found it interesting when you look that word up, 
it's a word that we would recognize. And the root word there is microteros, micro. We recognize that word, don't we? It means very small, very small. And so when it talks about in this passage the least of these, it's talking about the very small in terms of their dignity within our society. They are the ones that, that life has thrown a curve. They are the ones that perhaps in many cases through circumstances not of their own doing, do they find themselves in a, in a place of want and need. And Jesus said, when you minister to the least of these, those that society views as having less worth and dignity, you minister as unto me. The picture that comes to mind as I think about that, those micro in their dignity, I think of a homeless person on a street. No hope, no way out, no light at the end of the tunnel, just a day-to-day -day existence. But the reality is it goes much further than that. We have people within our community and within our orbit around us that live within homes and yet have the same level of needs. No means of support, no companionship, barely getting by in many circumstances by no fault of their own, no ability or means to earn or even repay a kindness or a deed done. And so what Jesus says is our response to these is evidence of what's really in our hearts. And I believe it's significant that Jesus began this section by talking about the blessings that the righteous, that those that know him have. Because I believe that when we minister to this way, in this way to those in need around us, that it demonstrates the fact that we understand what Jesus did for us in the spiritual realm. Because in reality, we were just as what is being talked about in the physical realm. We were the least of these. We had no dignity. We had no hope of salvation, no hope of being right in the eyes of God. The only thing we had to look forward to was an eternity apart from Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus reached down, came to the cross, went to the cross, and affected our salvation so that we could enjoy all of these spiritual blessings. And, and the reality is, if I understand how much I have been given and granted that I don't deserve, then it fuels within me a desire to minister and to reach out to those in appreciation and understanding of what Christ has done for me. I love the passage in Luke chapter 47, where Jesus is gathered with some Pharisees at a home, and there's a woman that comes in there, of, and a woman of a bad reputation. Scripture tells us she was a sinful woman. And she came in, and she presented herself, and she sat at Jesus' feet, and she poured expensive perfume over his feet, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And Jesus makes the comment to the Pharisees as they question the wisdom of what she's doing. Jesus said, those who are forgiven little love little, and those who are forgiven much love much. And that passage rings true in light of what this story, this narrative that Jesus shares with us. 
we've been forgiven a debt that we could never, ever repay. And the evidence of that, one of the evidences of that, is how we respond to those that have physical needs around us. On the other side of the coin is the response of the, of the unrighteous. Their response is one of neglect or ignoring the needs or the pleas of those that have a need. The spiritualized sense of that ignoring we see in that passage of, in James. And how often do I, how often do we give a similar response to this? 16th verse once again. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? So the unrighteous, Jesus says, their reaction is one of neglect and to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to those needs. This week as I wrestled through this passage, These are things that we don't like to talk about. They're uncomfortable for us. Those that are struggling and those that have needs and, and we're hesitant to help and we're hesitant to reach out. And, and, and I, I just... God and I wrestled about this week because... about that this week because it's like, why don't I? Why don't I have the means to share? I, God's blessed us. We have the ability. Why, why am I hesitant or unwilling to reach out to those that I know have these basic needs of life. And so I have a list. This is my list. But I suspect since we're all fallen in nature and much the same that these may be things on your list that um, may be reasons or things that cause you to pause and not reach out to those that need help. Why don't we? Why don't I reach out when I become aware of a need? The reality is, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Many times it's an interruption in my routine, in my life, in my schedule. It causes me to stop what I'm doing, to turn my attention somewhere else. And the reality is, it's, it's easy to give a bill or a check, but... The hard thing is a commitment of time that this might involve or might take. I was reading this morning a, an email devotional thing that I get, and, and I ran across, <laughs> interestingly enough, this thing about God using interruptions in our life. And I thought this was really good. We want to move through our task and our day without interruption. And God, rather, wants us to trust Him in every interruption. And so, even daily, He will interrupt our plans. Faith, not efficiency, is God's main agenda for us each day. Interruptions, interruptions frustrate us because we have no margin of time. We're packing one task, an appointment on top of another. and We have no margin for interruptions. That's me. That's me. I pack my day so full that if somebody comes to me or a need comes before me, I, I don't have time. And yet the reality is 
Those are God-ordained appointments if we're paying attention. I remember several weeks ago I had a, a circumstance where it was one evening I was on Facebook and somebody brought up a need that, that there was a, a, a young mom that was a couple days from payday and needed diapers and whatever, and, and I didn't think anything of it. And <laughs> when I ran across it for the third time in my Facebook feed, I thought, maybe I need to be paying attention to that. So kind of a slow learner. So I reached out and ended up meeting this guy in, in town and, and helped out a little bit with that. So several weeks later on an afternoon... I had plans made and things that I was going to do, and I came in contact with somebody that had just, we just had a simple conversation. Later that afternoon, he called me and shared a need that he had with me about some heat, some fuel to, to heat his home. And so I did what I could and met up with him and, and tried to help in that way. And then it wasn't very long after that, I got a phone call from the person that I'd helped a couple weeks ago, and he had another need, and, and I wanted to do more than just meet the need. I wanted to have some conversation with him and find out where he was spiritually, and, and so we met in town, and, and I spent some time visiting with him and helped him, helped him out a little bit financially. But at the, at the end of that afternoon, that was my whole afternoon. And in order to reach out and to meet needs, it required that God interrupt what my plans were. And I find that that's one of the, the hardest things when it comes to helping those around us is that it's inconvenient at times. But God would want us to set aside what we're doing and help those in need as evidence of our salvation. Another thing that comes to mind is that, that these circumstances are complicated. There's always whys, and, and, and is, it, is it because of sin? Is it because of family issues? Is it because of health issues, substance abuse, character issues, mental illness? What, what's the source of this need? I don't find anything in Jesus' account in Matthew that puts any conditions on our help. Help if, help when, help if these conditions are met. It just says... As you do unto the least of these, you do as unto me. Am I really helping or am I just facilitating a problem? Are they going to use these, these monies or these funds for, for food like they said, or are they going to buy alcohol or drugs? You know, this is really, these kind of circumstances are really society's problems. That's why we have welfare that's why we have WIC and we have food stamps and, and, and that's why we minister. We have a benevolent fund through the church and Goshen Help and, and, and all those different ways of helping those that have fallen on hard times. This passage that we read this morning isn't about an organization. It's about an individual. And what am I as an individual doing to serve those in need around me as serving God. Well, I can't help everyone. The need is too great. How, how, how do I choose who I can help and how many I can help? It's, it's like I'm, I'm afraid if I help that it'll just get out of hand and I'll end up being short myself. I would challenge each of us that if we're willing to pay attention to the people that God puts in our path, 
that we'll be walking in obedience to what Jesus talked about in this passage. Those that God puts before us. I think many times our hesitancy, my hesitancy to help, is because I know that in these circumstances there is nothing that's going to come back in return. It's an unconditional gift. Luke 14, the passage that's in your, that's in your bulletin as well, speaks to that end. When you have a banquet or when you invite people in, invite the poor and the sick and the unhealthy and the lame because they won't be able to repay you and your Father in heaven will repay you, will bless you. But I think the root of all of these hindrances to my reaching out is the ugliness of my own pride. The reality that that being seen with or being associated with some of these that are the least of these among us might somehow affect my standing or the way people think or feel about me. And I hate that. I hate that, but that, that's a reality of a sinful heart. The fact of the matter is, Jesus spent most of his life with the same people that I spend most of my life trying to avoid. And that's what Jesus is talking about. A couple of verses out of Proverbs to remind us of this kind of ministry and what God expects of us. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. In my career in banking, whenever someone applied for a loan, we did a credit analysis based on income and credit scores and all those different things that that lenders use to determine whether or not this loan is a good credit risk or not. I would think when Scripture tells me that if I am kind to the poor, that I lend to the Lord, that's a pretty good credit risk. I can't think of very many loan officers that, if any, that would want, if you would tell them, if you, if, if you do this loan, you will get paid back and rewarded as well. That's a pretty awesome investment. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And then secondly to that, Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. I remember the first time I ran across that verse, and it just, it just struck me that when I look down or I think less of somebody that's in need, that it doesn't really affect them, but it shows contempt for the God that made them that gave them worth because they were created in the image of God. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. One thing that was brought up in the video this morning that was just really convicting to me, in the passage that Jesus speaks this morning in Matthew. It says, whatever you do unto these, you do unto me. And the word there is action. It's action. 
It's doing something. And as was mentioned this morning, how often do I, when I know there's a need or I know the reality of somebody's hurt, I make an offer of help rather than doing something. Because the offer is easy. Most of the time that'll never be, that offer will never be called upon. And if, you, and if you really think about the reality when I make an offer of help, think about that from the perspective of the person in need who already is hurting, who already is, is perhaps in terms of self-esteem and dignity smashed to the ground because of how they feel about their circumstances. And yet my offer to help puts them in a situation in which in order to receive my help, they have to humble themselves and ask for that. That's just hard. It's just hard. But that's what I fall into. I think Jesus in this passage this morning is talking about the reality of of how we walk with the broken speaks loud about our relationship with Jesus Christ and our understanding. My vision for ourself for myself and for Sunrise, is that as we come together on Sunday mornings and celebrate the goodness and the grace that we've been given by God, that we'll go out from this place to minister. 200 plus people that gather here online or in person on a weekend, each in their sphere of influence in their community with people around them that are the least of these. And that we'll be a people that see interruptions as divine appointments for the people that God puts in our place. The reality is, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of our faith. Because it strikes at the two most precious things to our heart, whether we want to admit it or not. And that's my time and my money. And we hold those things dearly. Whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me, says Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there's mornings that we're just grateful for the encouragement and that we get from your word. And there's mornings that your word cuts like a knife and it reveals our deficiency and it reveals the ugliness of the pride that we have in our lives and it reveals unyielded areas that we hold near and dear to our heart, the reality of which are our idols that we hold equal to our worship of you. I pray, Father, beginning with me, that you would cause me to be obedient to the interruptions that you put into my life. That I'd be able to see the people around me, the least of these, even the the greater around me, as those that you desire for me to minister to and to meet the needs where I can. Father, may we be found faithful beginning with this Christmas Advent season in ministering to the least of these as ministering to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.